Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1295, with guest Troy Hunt. Recorded Thursday, April 28th, 2016. Can you believe that? It's Net Rocks. Again? Again. That's crazy talk. Back in the studio, Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. And uh, what's up, my friend? Uh, you know, we're in the heat of the spring season, which means it's just conference after conference. I think uh, now by the time the show comes out, we're back from Belgium, but right. uh, getting ready to leave again for uh, DevSum in Sweden. Which is going to be fun. Off the yeah, hook, actually. I think our friend Tabi Kavach over there is going to go off the rails. I think he will. I think we'll have a good time doing it. And then, and yeah. then NDC Oslo, of course. Right. Yeah. And I suspect we're seeing our guest in virtually all of those. Yeah, I think we're going to be hanging out quite a bit with yeah. Mr. Hunt. I have the most fun thing I've shown on Better Know Framework in a long time. Ooh. You guys are going to love this because you're old <laughs> school. Roll the music. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, of course, the URL is 1295.pwop.me. This yes. is a game. It's called TIS-100, or oh. Tessellated Intelligence System. It is an open-ended programming game by Zachtronics, the creators of Space Chem and Infinifactory, in which you rewrite corrupted code segments to repair the TIS-100 and unlock its secrets. <laughs> this looks ridiculous. It's the assembly language programming game you never asked for. <laughs> you have to print out the reference manual, which details the inner workings of the TIS-100, while evoking the aesthetics of a 1980s computer manual. You solve more than 20 puzzles competing against your friends and the world to minimize your cycle, instruction, and node counts. Wow. You design your own challenges in the TIS-100's three sandboxes, including a visual console that lets you create your own games within the game, and you uncover the mysteries of the TIS-100, who created it, and for what purpose. Oh, no. We're <laughs> this is another portal game, right? We're eventually going to strip it down to an artificial intelligence who wants to kill us all. 
Oh, I don't know about that. But you know what's cool about it is that, okay, I could spend all this time learning a fictitious computer's operating system, or I could learn Angular. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that, I don't, the question is which one would be easier? I'm not Uh, even sure. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) You know, you could pick up a skill that actually makes money with this kind of brain power. Who's playing this thing and why? That's really interesting. Unbelievable. That's pretty cool, though, I guess. I yeah. guess if you got nothing else to do, you know, you made your millions in software in the 80s, and you really missed the good old days when you had thousand-page manuals of assembly language instructions and <laughs> had to figure stuff out with no help whatsoever. Uh, I remember all those three-letter uh, assembly language calls, you know, oh, yeah. the, the uh, re- you know, uh, multiply accumulator. Load up a register. Yeah. Yeah. I remember BAC branch to Alpha Centauri. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of this. Uh, okay. Uh, Good one, buddy. I made Troy laugh, too. All right, who's talking to us, Richard? <laughs> Grabbed a I comment off of uh, two shows ago from Troy, 1157, the one we did with Troy back in June of 2015, about a year ago. We talked about SQL injection, Wi-Fi security, password security, all those good things. Happy things. Ton of, just a ton of comments, as usual, yeah. you know. And, you know, Troy, appreciate you jumped right in there and and, uh, and chatted with a lot of the folks in there as well. Um, this is a fairly lengthy comment. I probably won't read the whole thing, William, but uh, it's from William Denton, who said, I would like to refuse to believe that Greenfield sites are still being developed with SQL injection vulnerabilities. However, legacy sites number in the millions, and we all know how many are not maintained mm. or really n- are unable to be maintained because mm-hmm. there's nobody left that knows how. Right. I recently found an example of SQL injection in an ASP Classic website. The logic was pretty hard to follow, especially as my brain kept saying, no, they can't <laughs> have done it this way. <laughs> so this is just cognitive dissonance, right? Like it, you just, you feel like you're in a Wes Anderson movie. This can't be true. <laughs> Uh, he starts with an HTML form posted on the server, which then created a blank row in the database. And then the posted form name value pairs were iterated through in a SQL string concatenated together to blindly update the blank row one column at a time. No. It simply <laughs> swallowed errors where the column name didn't exist and continued processing values. Wait, am I, I in the TIS 100 game right now? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of assembly language, it's SQL. <laughs> If, if ever there was a, I have a brother who has a cousin whose dog knows some HTML. That is the example. <laughs> <laughs> I'll build you a website. No worries. It's cheap. Yeah. You got to read the, the Bill's description is brilliant. Here he goes. I was dumbfounded. Wow. I mean, this was genius. The web developer had supremely reusable code. Hell, why not take it a step <laughs> further and include the table name in the form? Once the table was created, you could write it with no additional server logic at all. It's perfect. All time saving all the time. <sighs> to actually come across this in the wild was a little unreal. Despite knowing that this was a serious vulnerability, I still had to submit... A form myself to make sure I could believe what I was seeing. And so he submitted, close quote, semicolon, drop table customer. Drop table customers. That's it. (laughs) Of course you did. Little Bobby Tables. Yeah. Well, he literally Bobby Tabled that site. (laughs) 
You've been bobbied. <laughs> oh my God, it's great. I, I'm not going to read the rest. I don't need to. It, that was the high <laughs> point there, uh, Bill. You killed it. It's unbelievable That's that, that awesome. you found one. You actually did it. And yeah, it's clearly these things still exist. You found one. Uh, it's those moments you, you remember that the web is it's it's like it's held together with sticky tape yep. <laughs> and you peel back <laughs> just a little tape. and the whole thing comes falling down yep you just got to poke it a little bit just breathe uh, on so it. bill thank you so much for your comment you got us all to laugh hard a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to google plus and facebook and if you comment there we read it on the show and we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on twitter he's at rich campbell i'm at carl franklin and uh send us a tweet we drop tables with him <laughs> <laughs> And before we get rolling with Troy here, I'd just like to call out that I recorded an interview with Troy on Run As Radio uh-huh. that I called Hacking a Country because we talked about the Philippines hack. And I it's going to come out the week after this show comes out. So I heard, highly encourage people, if you want to really dig into what happened with the Philippines, it's there. I know we'll talk about it a bit here, but if, if we glide past it because it's also over on Run As. All right. Very good. Well, uh, let me introduce him formally. Troy Hunt. He's been on the show many times. He's a Pluralsight author, a Microsoft MVP, and a world-renowned internet security specialist. He spends his time teaching developers how to break into their own systems before helping to piece them back together to be secure against today's online threats. He's also the creator of Have I Been Pwned? That's P-W-N-E-D. The free online... First time I heard that phrase was on this show, actually. I... I don't mind admitting the free online service for breach monitoring and notification. Troy regularly blogs at troyhunt.com from his home in Australia. G'day. <laughs> G'day. We're back again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I, uh, yeah, Richard, I'm really interested in the whole hacking the country thing because I didn't even hear that story. So tell us. Give us the recap, Troy. So, hacking the country, and of course, we've got to clarify which country because there's been a bunch of them that have gone through this recently. But this one that, uh, that we're talking about here is the Philippines. So, Philippines, a uh, little Southeast Asian country with only 100 million people. And they lost about half of them in a data breach. They had about 55 million records go out of their commission of elections. Are you talking and about citizens? Records of yeah, the citizens? Yeah, we're talking about citizens, correct. Uh, so 55 million uh, people out of a, out of a population of a hundred is a rather significant whack. And inevitably it's, it's, it must be just about every registered voter uh, that's in the country. And this was, uh, this was big news. We're talking about, uh, earlier in April. In fact, it happened, um, uh, it happened late March. Uh, lot of, a lot of it in the news in early April, there was a defacement on the website with the normal, uh, hacktivists ranting and, and scary mm-hmm. images. And then the data uh, got uh, distributed over the torrents and, you know, in ways where the genie's just not going back into the bottle. Right. So, yeah, now we have these 55 million records out there. Wow. And so were they stolen or deleted or both? Or does anybody know? Well, I, I guess the strict term is is copied. <laughs> so the right. originals, as far as we know, are still there. But we've now got this data out there that uh, includes things like uh, passport numbers, wow. uh, obviously names, emails. And there were some really weird things, right? So the names were encrypted. So you look at it and you go, well, there's the first name column and the last name column, and I can't read it. 
oh, there's the email column. It's not encrypted. And guess what's in your in your uh, email address? Yeah, your name. It's, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, for some strange reason, they decided not to encrypt the passport fields. So you actually have passport number and expiry date. That's not encrypted. Wow. Um, also, some number of millions of uh, fingerprint data, which is kind of interesting, biometric data. Wow. Mm. And does anybody know how it happened? Well, that's interesting. So there, uh, there were claims from uh, a group calling themselves Lulsec Philippines. So we had Lulsec sort of doing a bit of a rampage against a whole bunch of sites back in 2011. And someone seems to have, have sort of gone under that banner here for the Philippines. And uh, there was a video they put out which showed, uh, wait for it, a SQL injection. No. So this is, the, and this is the sort of thing that happens via SQL injection. You just get heaps of data exfiltrated out of the system. So that, that's what they're claiming. If they hired the, the TSA to commission a, a, an iPad app to fix that, it would only cost $200 million. <laughs> go left, go right. <laughs> yes, I saw that one. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I was just reading in the news that they've arrested a, a, a 23-year-old IT grad who apparently had, had has now confessed and said he was he meant to show Comelec that they needed better security and uh, oh. called him and decided to call himself LolSec Philippines. Oh. I don't know if it's actually true if the Philippine government just needed to arrest somebody, but. Uh, that's what, that's been the latest news on that little thing. Well, he certainly showed it. Uh, I, I would probably prefer not to go to jail in, in showing it. So there's yeah. that. So that they had a video of, uh, this was really interesting, actually. There's a lot of cultural differences about something like this happening in a country like the Philippines as opposed to the, the US or UK or Australia. Yeah. And uh, when they're, they're arresting the guy, uh, they've got film crews in there with the cops going through his things and they're sort of trawling through all the stuff you'd normally expect to have uh, in, in a, a young man's uh, room, the you know, right. hard drives and thumb drives and everything. Right. Uh, and a teddy bear with a camera in its nose. <laughs> I'm sort of thinking, what kind of hacker are you? What are you doing? Get rid of the teddy bear at least. Anyway. That's just really wrong because I can see if it was like a lapel pin, you know, or sunglasses yeah, exactly. or something an adult would wear, but a teddy. But what are you going to do? Send a child in to talk to uh, some terrorist and get some straight dope on them? That's just wrong. And I don't even know what the teddy bear was there for because the whole thing was in Filipino and I'm just watching it and they're going through stuff and, you know, so I'd be interested in some of the security sides of things, but now I'm fascinated by the teddy bear. But anyway. James Bond Ruxman. <laughs> nice. And in the end, it was a, a, a SQL ingestion hack yet again on what is clearly a new site. Well, you, you, yes and no. So it's it's interesting. Uh, I, I wrote a bit about it um, because one of the one of the curious things is that the Filipino government, and I, I think this is again probably a cultural observation, uh, was not acknowledging the legitimacy of the data. So they they had to acknowledge the fact that there was a, an incident because their website was defaced. It's a bit hard to to sort of say that didn't happen, but they were claiming that the data itself wasn't legitimate. Uh, and I went through and verified it, which which effectively involved going to a few people in there who were also in my Have I Been Pwned system and saying, uh, is this your data? Uh, and then they say, yes, it is my data. <laughs> okay, well, that's, you know, the, the chances of you uh, knowing things like uh, your passport number, et cetera, which were in there and it not being legitimate is, is very low. So, you know, we, we've sort of verified that process. Um, and then I wrote about it because I, I wanted to, to sort of you know, talk about what was really quite a significant incident. 
And uh, it's it's just I found it fascinating that they didn't want to acknowledge that it it is something that happened and it, it, it's a major uh, event, particularly when we talk about the classes of data that are in it. Sure, and the, just the volume. I mean, it's effectively every voting age person in the Philippines. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, people always then say, okay, but what can you do with it? Well, right. think think about the questions that you get asked when you're requested to verify your identity. So, call up sure. your bank, what do they want? Uh, obviously, your name, your address, your phone number, possibly your passport number. You may have security questions about things like mother's maiden name. Uh, and the data had your parents' names in it, including Ouch. mother's maiden name. So it's got all of that sort of information, and that's that's what gets us worried. There's another problem here, which is that people who uh, are accepting applications for loans and banks and things like that, when they get somebody from the Philippines, should they? What should they do? I mean, that sort of puts a, a black mark on anybody from the Philippines who's trying to take out a loan at a bank. It's a really interesting risk assessment question. I've been working with some companies. Uh, re- related to the work I do with Have I Been Pwned about uh, them doing risk assessments on people. And there are so many factors that go into it. So the, the, the question of the Philippines, it, it may be a factor. In fact, I'm sure it would be a factor. I guess the question is what's the weighting of that factor? So how much should it impact their ability to get a loan or insurance, right. whatever else, yeah. be, if they had, let's say, everything exposed? Because it does seem to me these days that uh, – that- Identity theft, the banks have really clamped down on this. Like, you just don't see near as much of it, folks. At least the banking side has taken on the weight of uh, what identity theft looks like. And so, they would be highly motivated to minimize it. Yeah, look, it, I, I think it's it's getting better and they have more ways of being able to mitigate it. I mean, they've got smarter systems to, to be able to cover these things. Uh, clearly, it is something that, that still happens, though. And if it's not banking, it's your Amazon accounts or something right. like that. I mean, how many cases are there of Amazon accounts getting owned via social engineering Amazon support people? Well, that's now the reference scenario, right? Like, that's the way you describe most hacks is by taking down Amazon because Amazon has all the right ingredients. One click sale means all that information is already in there. All you got to do is get the identity right. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's a lot of information that's in there which can then be used to gain access to other accounts as well. We, we've seen some really prominent cases where where we've seen, say, attackers being able to access an Amazon account. Because they can access the Amazon account, they can get the last four digits of the credit card number, which they can then use to verify themselves on other accounts. Right. Nice one. But, hey, th- th- it makes me think, actually. So, in, in the intro, they were talking about the comment from that uh, that. Uh, listener about Bill, yeah. SQL injection being a thing of the past or like a brownfield problem. But we do still see this in brand new applications. And, and whilst I, I don't think the, uh, the Comlec one in the Philippines was actually new, there are many very dated things about it. We're still seeing it in new ones because we're seeing a lot of guidance from, uh, people about how to write bad code. So I, right. I do this workshop, uh, where I go into organizations and one of the things I talk about is SQL injection. And I show uh, a blog post from last year about how to do a password reset in ASP.NET. And it's just littered with SQL injection flaws. And it's brand new 2015 era kind of code that people will go and copy and paste. Wow. Who, how? How does that happen? <sighs> That's just that. You have to have had your head under a rock for the last 10 years. To How does that happen? 
I mean, it, it, it happens because people aren't aware of the risk. And, and yes, we have a lot of information out there. But look, to, to the comment earlier on, uh, it's, it's, something that, it's something that people just aren't aware of so many times. And they just sit down and they start writing code and they go, well, I've got some input here from the user and that needs to change the SQL statement. So I'll just join them together. And they just simply have not seen this risk that is SQL injection. There's a lot of developers that do work in a vacuum as well. They're not plugged into you know, communities like this where they're hearing about these sorts of things and they they just go and do what they think is right. Wow. Just not looking at it. So a question then, are you going to add the Philippines data to Have I Been Pwned? I mean, your what? largest right now is like 152 million. So this would come in like number two, right? Way ahead of you. <laughs> the, uh, the, the data <laughs> is in there. Don't worry about that. Uh, but there are only 280,000 email addresses. And, oh, and this okay. is, again, it, it, look, it's one of the, the cultural things as well in that uh, it is an emerging nation. They've got uh, low levels of internet adoption compared to the rest of the world. But having said that, 280,000 out of 55 million is a pretty small portion. And it looks like the way the data was structured, there's different bits and pieces from different systems. And I suspect that this is like the overseas voters portion or, or some subset of the overall data. Yeah. And this is not the only country that's been breached like this? No. So just before that, we had uh, only 50 million from Turkey. Uh, only. So that was, was the Turkey thing, which was, uh, which was not great. Uh, they got pretty upset about uh, people who were, who were actually writing or redistributing that data as well, which, which you'd kind of expect. But after these incidents, you sort of go, the, the thing you need to do right now is actually focus on fixing your damn system. Right, right. Uh, and, and then worry about the fact that the, the genie is out of the bottle anyway in terms of the data being redistributed. Sure. And then uh, just after that, we had Mexico. We had Mexico with about 93 million people, uh, as uh, as rumor has it, found in an exposed Mongo database. Wow. Wow, indeed. But it was older, right, that data? I'm not sure of the age. I mean, you may well have read more about it than me, Richard, but uh, it, it, regardless, it was 93 million people. And however old it was, like the birth dates and the mother's maiden names are probably still pretty accurate. Yeah. No, it's just such a huge chunk of data. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it, what they, they found it as a copy of like the 2012 voter registry, something like that. So, it, it is a few uh, maybe years it's, old. Maybe, maybe it's a backup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, literally, it I think you're real- exactly right. It was a backup. Oh, boy. Uh. Which is really interesting, right? This is not about you attacking the primary site. This is somebody made a copy and did something inappropriate with it and exposed it. And it got found because of these all of these skimming tools out there looking for for uh, availability. Well, that, that's interesting on many levels. So in, in terms of tools looking for, for vulnerabilities, there are tools like Shodan. And uh, if, if anyone's interested in checking this out, go and check out Shodan because it is actually pretty awesome at hmm. Shodan.io. And what you'll find is that Shodan goes through and it indexes a whole bunch of things on, on the web. And they talk about it being the search engine for the Internet of Things, webcams, buildings. I'm looking at the screen now. Uh, the web and also refrigerators. Uh, so if you were thinking, <laughs> I would like to find myself a refrigerator on the web, uh, go to Shodan. Uh, power plants as well. Um, oh, nice. How do, you, how do you spell that, Troy? I'm, I'm trying to so, get your accent here. <laughs> <laughs> so in my strong Australian accent, Shodan is S-H-O-D-A-N. 
Okay. It almost sounded like showdown, but yeah. No, that's just the way we say it here. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's really interesting. It's been in the news quite a bit because really fascinating things are found. And it, it, it's basically going around port scanning the internet and then seeing what's open there. So it finds a whole heap of things like open VNC so that you can get remote desktop sessions on machines. And then you'll go to the showdown page for the IP address and it will show you what's on that open VNC session. Uh, we find things like even connected toilets. It, there's some really interesting, bizarre things that are connected to the internet, which are found on here and, and then available for you to peruse. Nice. Well, yeah, I have an advanced toilet, but it's not. it has not got an Ethernet jack going into it. So hmm. that's a good thing. I don't want that. No, that's not a feature. That is not on my list of things. I, in one of my talks, actually, I, I have uh, an example of an internet-connected toilet. And uh, <laughs> it, this was an internet-connected toilet. Uh, it's called Elixil, L-I-X-I-L, uh, which is made in Japan where all funky toilet things come from. And it had a vulnerability due to a default pin. And I, I show this in my talks. And, and one time I did this talk and I show this toilet and the, there's this uh, security advisory about an attacker may be able to take control. And someone said to me in one of these, these talks, so that, that this guy says to me, he says, yeah, that's called a backdoor attack. No. Oh, jeez. Oh. First it's teledildonics <laughs> and now it's the backdoor attack. <laughs> Why do you keep asking me back? This show is not suitable for children or sensitive grandparents. Anyway. Oh, my God. Uh I want to call out a couple more things from your, your website. And uh, one of my favorites, the, your latest post so you actually had a company that had been breached bring you their data and say, this is what got breached. Yeah. How about that? Isn't that weird? That's amazing. Look, that is amazing. And, and we, we need to put a bit of context here. So look, most of the data breaches I load into have I been pwned. And I, I think I'm up to about 102 now. Uh, right. Most of them uh, are taken from companies and they're distributed broadly around the internet. Uh, and I get them uh, via those channels because it's in the news or it's torrented or so on. Others are more tightly held and they're passed on to me by people who, who are trading uh, in these data breaches, sometimes commercially trading. But this was one where these guys popped up and said, uh, hey, we got breached, here's the data. And I went, hang on, what now? <laughs> Why? Uh, and look, the, the way it ended up panning out is that this is a, a site called uh, Truckers MP and it, it's basically a, a mod for a trucking simulator. And oh. they had, I think it was about 83,000 people in this breach and it, it was really interesting because I, I i believe it's just run by a few young guys uh, i don't think it's it's much of a commercial uh, venture it, it's more something that uh, that obviously they've got a good community about but it's it's, mm. it's a small project mm. and they actually identified this intrusion within about 30 minutes uh which is wow. okay that's 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 good given sometimes uh it's more than 30 days <laughs> before big companies identify these things <laughs> And they wrote about it in a in an advisory on their website within about an hour after they identified it. Okay, that, that's also good. They're good. actually acknowledging it. Yep. And then they uh, it, it would have been probably a couple of weeks after that they they heard about have I been pwned. They got in touch, sent me the data. And now part of the problem for them as well is that because it is just a, a, a small operation, they are actually having trouble even emailing the people uh, to let them know. And I'm saying to these guys, look, you gotta, you gotta email everyone. Like you've done everything right. That's that, that's good in terms of getting onto it early. What if they've been pwned? Maybe they've changed their email address. 
<laughs> uh, well, that, that's another interesting angle. Uh, but it, it, look, in this case, you, you would at least expect you've got to let people know. Right. So we, we ended up, I helped them out uh, a couple of days ago and I sent 83,000 emails or something from Have I Been Pwned uh, from them, basically explaining the incident. So, yeah. you know, fortunately, everyone's been notified now. But I, I really liked the the ethics, if you like, of how they handled this. And what was interesting is that when I wrote this and shared it via social, a lot of people were like, guys, well done. You know, this is the right thing to do. Good yeah. on you. It was a bad situation. Yep. That's a good outcome. And just entirely coincidentally, only a couple of days later, I loaded a data breach uh, of a company called or a website called Lifeboat, uh, which, is, uh, which is a Minecraft-related site. And there were over 7 million people in there. But here's the thing. They, they found out about this in Feb and decided not to tell anyone. So they, oh they learned that 7 million people with passwords stored as MD5 hashes. So almost useless hashing. You can take it, copy it, paste it into Google, and it will come back and tell you what the plain text is for probably 7%. <laughs> wow. Password. That's crazy. So pretty much useless. And they didn't tell anyone and uh the press wrote about this and and in fact the press interviewed them and they went yeah we knew <laughs> we just decided not to tell anyone <laughs> we decided not to tell anyone because if the hackers knew that the people knew then they would exploit those people really quickly uh, and i go uh, whoa, 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 now they can exploit them slowly you know wait on this, this is, is just not how paranoia works. compounded on itself isn't it Unbelievable. hey richard yeah buddy guess what time it is uh, must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time for me to stop hanging out at rename my sequel tables to celebritypetnames.com. <laughs> Sprinkles. <laughs> it's, it's pookie. <laughs> yeah, I've had a bad experience there. Actually, it's time to give away a de-experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero well all right buddy who's our winner today's winner richard is tim cavanaugh from enola pennsylvania ah, congratulations tim yes. i'll clap for you sir i'll clap for you well done sir and uh tim gets the d experience subscription from developer express a big pile of awesome from them just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. Troy, it's been a while. What's on your shopping list? Five grand, go. Oh, you know, I was just thinking about that, and I, I reckon probably the, the right kind of toy at the right kind of time now is is a set of really good VR gear. So maybe yeah. like a, an Oculus, but with some of the handheld stuff as well, where you can actually move things around. Mm, I reckon sure. it's the right time for that. Everybody's saying that lately. Yeah. HoloLens is big. 
Look, I mean, that that would, I reckon, be cool. I've got what I need in terms of computers and screens and all the rest of yeah. it. But yeah, something fun. And I reckon it would freak the kids out too, actually. It would sure. be pretty funny. <laughs> I had an Oculus uh, dev kit too for a while and got my kids into it. And uh, I put put it on an old person. That's a lot of fun. Whoa! <laughs> hey! Whoa! Whoa! Oh, wait a minute. Holy. Wait a second. They're like putting their hands out, you know. The, the only fun. hesitation I have with it is I think it would be really cool and it would be great fun. I'm just not sure how much sort of practical value it would be beyond entertainment, at, at least for sort of use in the home in everyday ways. For now, well, uh, I, I certainly see a lot more value in, in augmented reality than I do virtual reality mm. other than games. Well, can, I, can, I, can the five grand stretch show a HoloLens as well? That would be good. Well, if you're on the list... Right now, you can get the HoloLens dev kit for $3,000, but you sort of had to be on a list already, and there's there's waves, you know. I actually yeah. have the ability to purchase two of them, but uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm going to wait. So, I probably could have sold that slot somewhere, but I don't know if that would have been ethical or even legal. So I didn't. Buy yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't but buy one. Look, th- that that'll be really interesting. But it is really early days, too, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, I've been thinking about some of the things we could do. You know, uh, in the three in the the three sixty camera thing, so forth. Like exploring the the Great Pyramid with a with a VR headset makes a lot of sense. You don't have to go there. Less chance of being blown up. But you could also do things you couldn't do if you were physically there, like at, in the king's chamber, the the room that you hike up to, which is quite unpleasant to get to, by the way. Uh, there's a little air vent, you know, and you're too big to get into that. But in a a VR experience, you could suddenly become mouse size and go up that vent. You know, choose to to be able to see other things. Or the or the hollow lens whilst you're there, and it could visualize perhaps how it looked. Back of the day, sure. I don't know. Like, I, I think the cool thing about it, with all this sort of futuristic bits and pieces, is that we just haven't thought of the ways that it will be used yet, and, and that's what really excites me. I have a, I have a friend who works in the in the software games industry. Has built a lot of games, likely you've played, but I'll leave him anonymous. Yeah. Who, and his point was. I have to redesign the way we think about games. Like we are starting from scratch yeah. because the, the mechanism by the way games work doesn't make, it's a big difference between screen three feet away from you, mouse, keyboard or controller versus screen wrapped to your face. Yeah. And, and our, all of our instincts are wrong. We're having to learn over again. I think you mentioned this guy before. Yeah. On the show. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting cat yeah. and, and, and always fun to talk to. The breach we were talking about always oh, the the um, the American trucker game breach. So, so yeah. I, I just I'm so happy we have an example of the right thing to do. Yeah, and I I think what stuck out to me with that was that we we need to acknowledge that security incidents, even despite our best efforts, uh, yep. may well still happen. Right, these stuff does go wrong. And what I think makes all the difference is how you deal with the incident after it occurs. Absolutely. So, you know, do you pick it up and own it and go, look, yes, we, we had an issue. This is what went wrong. Let, let's now get over it. Or do you try and weasel your way out of it or cover it up or, or do other things like that? And Which never works. We sort of, it, I think it depends on, on your definition of work. So, uh, okay. I mean, if we look at the likes of, uh, of Ashley Madison, right? So, uh, Avid Life Media, who owns them, 
were really evasive in their in their information they gave out. They offered terrible support to people who were impacted, and this was a really really serious breach. Sure, and they are still running and how they're still running is, is absolutely beyond me but they've they've managed to keep going by all accounts that their, their membership is actually uh, growing I, I guess with an online system it can't really reduce because they weren't actually yeah, deleting people right right um so so they've actually managed to weather that storm and keep going and, and they behaved atrociously uh so unfortunately in some cases that that does work out but i think that what these guys have demonstrated is that there is a way of handling these incidents in an ethical and responsible way that that keeps them moving forward uh, and keeps their customers happy as well as happy as they can be under the circumstances can you the other one and we talked about this on the show last time was the vtech breach and i noticed you retired Mm. Retired, yeah. So, so VTech, uh, just as a quick recap, this is the Hong Kong-based toy maker that they uh, they make devices such as little iPads. So, if you can imagine, mm. if Fisher Price made an iPad and it was all plasticky and colourful, and you give it to your kids, so they made these devices. And in November 2015, they got themselves hacked. They got about four million accounts uh, taken out of there. And the accounts included, um, this was all the parents, actually. It was like four million parents, yeah. uh, phone numbers, addresses, all this sort of thing. And then millions of kids with foreign key relationships back to the parents and the kids' name and gender and birth date and, like, really sensitive stuff. And photos. Uh, wow. And photos as well. Yeah, photos of the kids. So, uh, like, the, the mind boggles at, at what evil people could do with it. But this was a similar situation to this this Philippines one where the guy went, well, I just wanted to show them they had a vulnerability. So <laughs> maybe after you got the first record, that would have been a good time to say you had a vulnerability. Right. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> he got all of this data out, gave it to a reporter. So now that's two people that have it. Reporter gave it to me to verify. So there's three people that had it. Hmm. And as far as we know, no one else ever had it. It was only the wow. three of us. There's no trading, nothing like that. And... I ended up having uh, lots of discussions with uh, with various authority figures, <laughs> shall we say. So, uh, and and to be clear, all of this was very positive and constructive, and mostly uh, trying to figure out uh, what had actually gone on. But that included things like class action lawyers representing people who'd been impacted. It included um, a three-letter acronym uh, law enforcement in the US and Australia. Again, just trying to figure out what has actually gone on. Mm, right. Uh, and it also included legal counsel for VTech themselves. And, and the one thing that was consistent across all of these parties, and inevitably some of them have conflicting interests, but the one thing that was consistent was that nobody wanted to see the data go any further. Yeah. This right. was a really rare case. The genie wasn't out of the bottle. Yeah. No, no, it, well, it was out just a little bit, <laughs> but it was a very contained little bit. And by me deleting that data, that meant that they could go back to the people that were impacted and go, look, one third of the places that we know it, it, it got sent to are gone. In fact, it's probably two thirds because I've arrested someone in the UK who's apparently uh, responsible as well. Oh, and, wow. And that, hmm. that really reduces the risk and and i have to look at that and say what's what's the ethical thing to do that's going to that's going to be the best thing for those impacted by the breach and and frankly i care less about vtech than what i do about the individuals who are in there Obviously. and that was an easy thing to do well and, and it's really interesting this idea that you've been starting to get data from places other than the hackers, the breaching sources that are trying to sell the data. Mm. And suddenly you have new ethical needs or new ethical requirements. 
Yeah, it's it's just interesting the way it's evolving in these different ways. And uh, I guess these days data is coming from it, it gets distributed on the net, Ashley Madison style. It gets sent by reporters. Often I have reporters say, look, someone has come to me right? because they have hacked into a system. And isn't this an odd thing? So hackers mm. are going to reporters to say, hey, look what I did. Can you write about it? Mm. Nice. Yeah. And then re- reporters are coming to me and saying, can you help me verify that this is actually legitimate or not? Uh, and of course, there are people that come directly to me with data as well. And I've got to be a bit cautious because I don't want to become a delivery channel for people that have broken into websites either. Right. Uh, and it's, it, yeah, often there's this discussion of do they know? Have you told them? You know, let them know what you've done and then go to your room and think about what you've done <laughs> because yeah. it's often kids as well, right? It's, right. it's yes. literally legally children breaking into these systems a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting that the, and even when it's not kids, it's 21, 23, like young people. Uh, you know, and we, we throw around terms like hacktivism when it's something we believe in. But these are still crimes. Well, look, I mean, hacktivism is a very convenient term as well. There's, um, there's a really good quote I like. So that there's this account, this Twitter account called Swift on Security. And if you haven't seen Swift on love Security, don't check love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it's good. Him, her, it, we don't know, right? It's just, it's, it no. is like Taylor Swift tweeting security and he's got like 140,000 followers or something. So it's really yes. successful. But anyway, there's this, there's this quote from Swift on security, which is defining hacktivism. And it says there's, there's three steps. Number one, uh, break into a site. Number, or, or number one, find sites with vulnerability. Number two, break in, steal the data. Number three, make up a reason why they deserved it. <laughs> and, and that is often the way it works. It, it is exploiting low hanging fruit. And then we'll work out some reason why they needed to be exploited later on. Sort of a real uh, it, Robin Hood, uh, esque kind of morally ethic to it and it's a little bit twisted up isn't it i reckon it's more twisted than than robin hood because robin hood was at least helping someone (laughs) out of the process he he started uh, out with an intent to help as opposed to oh i've done this now let's find an excuse for why i I think this is but you know hackers script kids attempt to sort of just justify bad behavior I think it's it's part of it, and a, a really good example of that is in January, uh, while we're all over in London at NDC, uh, Nissan got DDoSed, and uh, Nissan got DDoSed because of the whales. What? Think about uh, all right. <laughs> One more time. Why? Why would you do that? Nissan uh, so because of the whales. Because of the whales. Uh, because uh, Nissan's uh, roots are in Japan, and right. there are oh, areas the of whale Japan that, uh, that still have a penchant for whales. Yeah. Uh, so let's DDoS Nissan because they, they make cars, but hey, whales. Yeah. You know, and, and, it's, and, so the, it's just, and so the reason they took down Nissan is because that's the place they were able to take it down. So it's pretty sure they figured out the attack first, then they came up with a justification for the attack. Yeah, look, it, it is very hard to say what goes on it there. It really doesn't and, matter and the, what order they did that in. It, it's still wrong. It, it is what yeah. it is, and, and the justification is really wacky. And, and look, I, I get the desire to, to do this in certain cases, and, and there are cases where you look at it and say, I don't feel overly sympathetic for this company. So think of the most recalcitrant sort of organizations or, or groups uh, that say, you can. Um, Ashley yeah, say Madison. Ashley Madison, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, I was actually thinking more along the lines of that there's been attacks against like uh, KKK, Westboro okay. West Baptist Church, the, the organizations that are just really broadly condemned by society. And, and as much right. as I don't like what Ashley Madison did, I'm sympathetic to the people that had their data exposed. Yeah, uh, sure. It's much harder to be sympathetic to KKK members. 
Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I get it, and and the thing is that this is moral. You're playing moral equivalence games now. Like these are all equally evil. It, it's a hard thing. Then it, 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 that isn't a totally different slippery slope. So if we yeah. could offer just one little piece of practical advice, I actually found um, two uh, computers in my world, one owned by me and one owned by my mother-in-law, that got malware. Uh, infected Windows 10. And you would think after all these years, Windows 10 being, you know, the best and the brightest and the best that Microsoft has to offer, how could you possibly get malware? <laughs> I know. Go ahead, laugh. I'll just wait for the you, laughter. You're, you're running, running flesh? Yeah. <laughs> running <laughs> flesh? No, no, no. No, I, I don't Java? think so. No, I don't think so. But anyway, um, I did find a, a program out there that Unbelievably, I was able to install from a USB key, run it, and it contained all the malware, and everything's fine. It's called Malware Bytes. Do you know about Malware Bytes? Yeah, yeah. So they're they're pretty popular. They're they're very well renowned. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of AV companies out there that that do good things. That the trick is is that once once you have an incident like this, trying to be able to sort of sort the wheat from the chaff and and make sure that you you get something that's legitimate and honest and that's not it. one of these websites that says, hey, uh, here's a well, big flashy banner ad, install this thing, and we will we'll actually fix it that's for you. how honest. you know you have malware is that you have all these th- websites that come and say they'll fix your malware. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely one way. <laughs> but what I did was I downloaded Malwarebytes uh, from Malwarebytes.org, and there's a free version, onto a USB drive on a computer that isn't infected and took that over to mother-in-law's place, ran it. It only took about 15 minutes, and it was able to contain all the malware. And, and I was actually surprised because I figured that any malware that is worth its weight in evil will find ways to get around those things, you know. Looking for uh, programs that are running like malware bytes and, and saying, you know, well, let's attack them before they attack me, kind of stuff. Well, th- this is the continued sort of one-upmanship of of security defenses, right? Like right. we'll put in a defense, and someone will go, well, hey, here's a good way to get around that, and then we'll go, ah, but now I know how to get around that. And th- this is we often hear it called an arms race, right? Yeah, like one side gets better, and then the other side uh, goes one more. But it, hey, it keeps it interesting, if nothing else. Sure. And so you mentioned Flash and Java as two vectors for malware. Um, I, geez, I don't know. I, I have no idea how I got it on the on a on a computer mm. in the studio. Uh, all I do know is that it is shared by other people, and you know, sometimes somebody will come up and go to a site. It could have been for lyrics or horn charts or something like that. I was away for a while, and uh, you know, somebody was probably looking up lyrics or something it got it got it from a website i don't know a, a lot of the, a lot of the time you you just don't know i've just done a, a short course for another company uh on on ransomware and oh. in, in writing this i was having a really good look at, at what are the channels uh that that people are getting infected by and it, look one of the one of the ones that does still happen a lot is these drive-by downloads of malicious software so drive-by being that you go to a website uh, and you have some vulnerability in your client and it, it just simply loads the exploit. So a, a good example is we've seen ad networks compromised in the past. And whether they're compromised insofar as a, a weakness in the ad network or it is simply malicious ads, 
because these days ads are not images, ads no. are entire websites that run within an iframe yeah, because advertising reasons. Yeah, they're just and divs of HTML and JavaScript and CSS. Whatever that can happen, whatever that can do that, can happen. That That's it. And hey, if, if, if anyone's curious, uh, open up a website that has ads in your browser. Go to your dev tools and the element inspector and click on an element in that in that ad yeah. and look at how far down it's nested because it yeah. is in so many different things down beneath that website. And it's it's running there as its own website w- within your website. Right. And the, the problem is, is that once they start to, to have malicious uh, code in them, then they can do things like, uh, in, in many cases, we see, say, the Angular exploit kit loaded, which takes uh, advantage of vulnerabilities in Flash, Silverlight, Java, uh, which may then other uh, may then load other malicious software. And before you know it, you've got CryptoLocker or Locky or, or something nasty that's actually encrypted all your files. There's some nasty stuff out there. And there's people making a lot of money just encrypting all your files and then you know, if you don't pay them in Bitcoin, which may require you traveling to places to, to, to make deposits or whatever in special ATMs. Oh, it's crazy. Now there's been an interesting bounce back with, uh, it was a Kapersky that was the first to start publishing ransomware decryption tools. Really? Yeah. They've just given them away. It's like, Hey, we figured out it. We, you know, we got the keys for these, uh, decryption for, for these, uh, these ransomware tools. If you've been attacked, try this. Huh. Well, that's cool. A, a few of them have, have had vulnerabilities in them. I and mean, there's ransomware like Jigsaw where there are free tools out there to decrypt it. The, the problem now though, and, and this has just become particularly prominent in 2016 is that there is good ransomware out there. And, and when I say good, I don't mean good intent. I mean well-implemented. Really effective. Yeah. Because the, the reality of it is is that AES encryption works, right? Yeah. If, if you yep. don't have the private key and they do it properly, you're not unlocking your files. So one of the really big stories we saw this year was uh, Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center. They paid right. $17,000 after being down for oh. 10 days oh. to unlock their files. And and the thing is, like seventeen grand might seem like a lot, but they were charging forty five million bucks a year for their CT machine. Oh man! So yeah, suddenly now we're saying, well, they're actually raking in one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars a day running this machine. Seventeen grand? Who cares about seventeen grand? Yeah, just pay yep. it because it, it unfortunately it works. And even yep. the FBI is saying we often recommend the clients just to pay the money. Yeah, I'm really hoping right now that our listeners aren't evil. I'm really, really hoping this. If there's nobody out there saying, hey, I can make some extra money. <laughs> well, well, here's the other problem. It's never been easier because now you have ransomware as a service. Oh, great. Thanks, Troy. <laughs> so, well, look, all your listeners are fine. I'm, I'm not worried about them. Uh, so, you, you have things like this. Uh, th- this is fascinating. I get excited about this one. Ransom32 is the name of a ransomware as a service product. And you go to a website which runs this Ransom32 uh, web application and you put in your Bitcoin address, so you're the attacker. This is the Bitcoin address you want to be paid on. Uh, and then you put in things like, how much ransom do I want to demand from the victim? You toggle a few switches. Do I want to just lock the entire machine? Do I want to slowly encrypt all the files? Oh, my God. Then you download the ransomware package and you distribute that and then you can come back to the portal and look at how many people are paying, how many machines are Dude, locked. Dude, this is like just pure this is, evil. Isn't that crazy? ransomware as a service everything is as a service these days right do i feel like i need to disclaim the show now (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, oh my God, I'm showing people how to commit these horrible crimes, you know, and I'm just hoping that they're not evil. <laughs> oh, look, it, it's it's hard, and every now and then someone sort of says, you know, like you're teaching people to do bad things. Yeah, yeah. I've got a video a video where I, I taught my son who was three at the time how to use uh, how to do sequel injection uh, with right. a tool called Havage. And and the, really the point of it was that if you can copy and paste, you, you can do sequel injection. Right. And a, a few people are cranky at that. And my position, and this is what I do in all my workshops as well, is is very much that you have to show people how easy it is for these things to work in order to get them endorsed. Well, because and- there are still so many developers out there writing bad code because they don't know just how bad it is. Right. In other words, you're showing them how easy it is to so that they can take precautions against it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that this gets levels of engagement and endorsement by developers like nothing yeah, else. You're right. Right. Well, yeah, this is, you know, the bad people are already using the tools. Now, if you yeah, teach the right. good people what the tools are, there's a chance we can start defending against it. I suppose it. you're right. Is there any way to defend yourself against a ransomware attack? Besides, there's a bunch of things. Uh, so one of the sort of canonical defenses, and, and this really isn't, um, this really isn't prevention. This is cure is, is backups, right? So yeah, sure. the, the problem here is we're getting files encrypted. Do you have backups of them? And do you have versioned backups of them? Because you don't want backups of ransomware encrypted files. Right. Uh, and, and that look, I mean, that's just good sort of, uh, data management 101 anyway. So there's that. The the other sort of typical defenses uh, are things like making sure that all your all your things are patched. So yeah. uh, we just got the uh, Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report 2016, which is really interesting if people are interested in in data breaches. Mm. And what they found was that a huge number of the machines that were infected by ransomware had versions of Flash that were over a year old. Wow! So they're they're not updating their plugins. Uh, and in fact, even better, uninstall Flash. Yeah, right. Get rid of it because it is so frequently the vector. Find something else. Yeah, it's not. It's just not needed anymore. We're mostly past that. The, the, the biggest defense I still hear is for games. And, uh, and incidentally, my, my son, who's now six, most of the stuff that he gets from school in order to do homework, things like mathletics and other products uh, like that for him to learn, are Flash-based. Yeah. Interesting. Crazy. Well, well, it, it wouldn't be the first time that a kid caught a virus at school, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, so long as he doesn't come home and give it to me like he has with all the other human viruses, you know, <laughs> keep, keep it to yourself. You know, one of the tactics uh, I talked to an IT guy about uh, for resisting ransomware is he just removed update rights to files for most of his users. Yeah. Because they're using content management tools anyway, right? SharePoint and things. Mm. So if you can't write on an existing file, you can just create new files. You can't have your stuff encrypted. And you, and well, that, for an awful lot of work, you never need to write on existing files. Huh. That is a really good example of principle of least privilege as well, which is another yeah. really good defense. Uh, it, you only give people the absolute bare minimum of what they need to do and for their people job. People love that. And, oh boy, do we love that. <laughs> Well, you so, want to so, push them down a workflow that is effective. Yeah, that, now that's true. But I mean, you know, replacing the permissions on all the files in Windows isn't an option, though. It's actually remarkably easy. Well, it's easy, but, you know, now it becomes completely impossible to use some apps, right? I mean, we wouldn't be able to record a f- uh, the show right here with Adobe sure Audition. Sure you you're, you're making a new file. New files are fine. 
it's all updating existing files that are a problem. Yeah, well, what if the app decides that it needs to keep the file closed and then just update by opening and, and writing to a section of it and closing the file? And I mean, it, it's all in the app and how it de- decides yeah. to use the file system. How an app uses a file matters a lot. It does. But, yeah. but it de- you know, it depends on the case. But this mass, and, you know, obviously, you're going to find out if your backup strategies work quickly with ransomware. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what are the privileges this thing is counting on? And what do we really need? Like, what does the workflow make sense to do? But you know what? As a developer, that that should inform us that, hey, don't don't open a file and update it. Write a new file. Yeah. Yeah. As a developer. Interesting that's, thinking. That's a way to a way to go about it. Well, Troy, what's next for you besides Brussels? I know we're going to see you there, but uh, what what's next after that? Yeah, yeah, we're going to – they have beer there, right? They um, do, and chocolate. So, <laughs> <laughs> beer and chocolate. So, so we'll do that. Uh, in, in fact, as soon as I, I do my talks at Tecarama, I'm going to head down to Barcelona for a couple of days, do some uh, – do a workshop there for a company. Oh, that's got to suck. Head home to – head home to our sunny, warm winter. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then Oslo, and I'll see you guys again in Oslo, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll keep on keeping on. Any other weird stuff happens in the world, make sure you come and scare the bejesus out of us all because we live for that. You know I love it too, don't you? Yeah, (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) All right, Troy, thanks a lot. It's been great as always. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a